millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Think back to the last crime story you read in a paper or saw on the news. Perhaps you remember the details of the crime or the mugshot photo staring back at you. But have you ever stopped to wonder where those stories come from? How do they get from A to B and reach the reader or viewer? I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. My name's Sarah, and I'm a journalist. Like many journalists, Sarah Turnage started her career working at local papers. I'm from Essex originally, and I did my NCTJ with a very small kind of weekly outlet, as it was then, called the Thurrock Independent, a weekly newspaper solely focusing on the Thurrock area. And then I went to the Echo, which is the larger kind of daily newspaper in the Basildon South End area in Essex and it's a paper I grew up with so that was like kind of daily output of news and then I moved in 2018 to Bristol where I still live and worked for the Bristol Post. Life in a local newsroom is busy. With reduced budgets and fewer journalists, reporters are relied upon to file story after story. Especially when you're working on a daily print title, you're constantly aware of this deadline. Depends what newsroom you're in, but usually it's like seven, eight, nine o'clock that you're really working towards. So you've got to get stories in the paper. If you're writing three, four or more stories every day, you have to move fast. It can leave you little time to really interrogate things. Many journalists find themselves relying on press releases. The local police force was often a source of juicy stories things that readers would be interested in. You'd get an email press release through and then quite often you'd look at that and you think, great, that fills a spot on the site, that fills a spot in the paper. Often you wouldn't change that much with it. You know, maybe you go back and ask a few more questions or, you know, ask for another picture or something. But a lot of the time you just kind of accept that as the story in its complete package. After a few years working at local papers, Sarah got a job at HuffPost UK, where she worked as a general reporter and weekend editor. But her time reporting on press releases from police forces for local news outlets stayed with her. Now, Sarah had an idea. 
I started to feel a bit uncomfortable maybe about the way that some police press or some police like communication departments were using particularly their social media and I noticed that they'd put out a post say there'd be like a mugshot for like a wanted poster or a sentencing they'd put out the mugshot on Facebook and I noticed that repeatedly the posts that got like the most engagement the most comments you know laugh reactions angry reactions all that kind of thing would be either people of color or people who maybe they kind of visibly possibly had substance abuse issues or were visibly kind of homeless and just kind of realizing how those kind of stereotypes were playing into people's responses and feeling quite uncomfortable about the way that press releases were putting out their stuff online that way. Was there something in the way police forces were presenting their work that played into dangerous stereotypes? It was a question she wanted to dig into further. So she took the idea to HuffPost's head of news, Ramzi Al-Wakil. I kind of said to him, oh, this is something I've been thinking about. Would this be interesting to look at? Ramsey thought the idea was interesting. So together, they made a plan. I tried to go through as many different police forces, social media pages for the past, I think, six months. I think I was going to do a year and then I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do a year, just one person doing this comprehensively. So I thought I'll go with six months. And then we realised that just the forces were so kind of inconsistent. I'd already had the idea that I needed to compare it to some data to see what the disproportionality would be. And just looking through Facebook and Twitter, I wasn't getting the data I needed. So I think around late spring, Ramsey and I were talking and we were saying, right, we need to concentrate on, I think at first we said three police forces. But even that wasn't simple enough. The forces all held and produced information in different ways. So Sarah decided to concentrate on the biggest police force in the country, the Metropolitan. She was going to need access to official data from the government on the ethnicity of those sentenced in different areas. But once she had found that data online, then she needed to know how to read it. So that took me a long time to go backwards and forwards with the Ministry of Justice. I'm not a data journalist at all, so it was figuring out what data set I needed, figuring out how I was going to split up the data because the files they kind of directed me to were Excel spreadsheets so big that my computer couldn't open them, so I had to figure out how to split them up. Literally watching YouTube tutorials and Googling how to do basic things in Excel to split up these sheets accurately. Once I had that data and I realised that the most recent time period we were going to be able to look at was July to December 2019, because there's like a lag on the court outcomes data. We knew we were going to go with six months. We knew we had July to December. Now Sarah had that data clear, she wanted to compare the information the Met was putting out in its press releases. A colleague of hers was signed up to the police force's mailing list. And she had an inbox full of these communications. So Sarah had them all. She was going to have to read and log every single press release that had come out. And it soon became apparent that this was no small task. Sometimes they put out 10 or more press releases a day. If it's a busy day, they'll put out appeals and that kind of thing. Sarah waded through each and every emailed communication. She was looking only for those that referred to people who had been sentenced for crimes. That is, people who had been to trial and been convicted and then assigned to their punishment by the judge. 
It's at this point that reporters are freer to write about the details of criminal cases. So it was these press releases that had the real potential to influence newspapers' reporting. Sarah got to work. She would open each email, read the details, and then log them in a spreadsheet she had made. So I did a column for type, so whether it was sentence or conviction. I was only looking at quarter three or quarter four of the year, so quarter three, quarter four. I put their address in as it was referred to in the press release and their age, which I didn't really use, but is kind of useful to have. And then the Ministry of Justice categorises crimes into kind of type of crime. can't remember off the top of my head how many there are, but like the main ones are like type one, which is violence against a person, two, which is sexual offences, and it goes on like theft offences, fraud offences, that kind of thing, drugs offences. And then I made a note of if they were sentenced or not or what sentence they were given, how long the sentence was. And then, so this was the trickiest bit really because a police press release doesn't say, you know, this person is this ethnicity. I worked with colleagues on this. If we were unsure, we kind of talked about it. How would we as a reader read this person's ethnicity? And if it wasn't clear, we took them out from the data or, you know, if they were mixed race and we weren't sure what ethnicity to kind of group them in, we took them out. We just tried to admit as many kind of statistical problems as we could as we were going. And then I did gender and then I took the title of the press release and put that so I could kind of go back and cross-reference them if I needed to. All the while, Sarah was working on other stories, reporting on the pandemic and various other topics for the news site. But any time she had a quiet moment, she found herself clicking open another email from the Met and carefully logging the details in her sheet. But every now and then, doubts would creep in. There was a lot of times I was like, oh no, we don't have a story. And then I'd do something a little bit different. I'd be like, oh no, wait, we do, we do. I was, that was just me being silly about this particular thing. She kept going. And months later, she was done. So I ended up doing, I think, 530 entries I typed up because it wasn't just the press releases, it was every single person in each press release. So say, like, 10 people had been sentenced in one press release because it was, like, a gang-related sentencing or something, I would do all 10. Sarah sat back and stared at her screen. Now she had the details of hundreds of cases that the Met had publicised – She could compare those figures to the official data from the Ministry of Justice. Pulling up both data sets, Sarah was shocked. I could see clearly for myself that it was disproportionate. That was probably one of the biggest moments of the piece, realising that the hypothesis we had actually was true. While 29% of all the people officially sentenced were black, 44% of the Met's press releases reported the sentencing of black people. That is to say, the Met were disproportionately putting out press releases about black criminals compared to white criminals. And that matters. Sarah knew all too well that reporters rely on these press releases to write their stories. That meant newspapers would be showing an unfairly skewed picture, highlighting the criminality of black people compared to white. When it came to violent crime, white criminals made up 46% of all those sentenced but only 21% of the Met's press releases were about violent white criminals. It was clear the Metropolitan Police was more likely to issue details of criminal sentencing if it involved a black person. Sarah's suspicions had been proven correct. Suddenly it was like, 
oh, this isn't just a silly spreadsheet I'm messing about with now. Now it's a story. That was quite a strange moment. She knew she wanted to go further. She had put in a freedom of information request to the Met Police Force, asking for their communication policy. And when it came back, she had read the document carefully. It turned out there were no checks in place to prevent the force's communications department from over-representing marginalised communities. Seeing that in their own words, well, not seeing it in any words in their policy just kind of blew my mind, really, because especially after the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that we've seen over the past few years, particularly, it just kind of astonished me that it wasn't really mentioned. Well, it wasn't mentioned at all, apart from, I think there was a small section in their policy about appeals was to try not to put out too many appeals targeting one specific kind of ethnic background. But to see that there wasn't any policy really, when we saw that, I just kind of thought, really? Sarah spoke to experts on journalism and black rights campaigners and got powerful comment on her findings. It was time to take what she'd uncovered to the Met to get their reaction to her work. It was pretty terrifying. You know, I really had to kind of back myself on feeling confident in the data. I think because so much of it I'd collected myself. You do all the checks, don't you? And you read it over and over again and you go backwards and forwards and think about it a lot. But you still, you know, right up to the point where I was sending the email, I was like, oh, they're going to expose some ridiculous flaw that I'd made in the data and it's going to pull this whole story to shreds. So actually sending the email was a big deal. It was a very long email that I wrote, but I just wanted to get absolutely everything that I had in there just so they could see. And at that point, I kind of thought, well, if there are issues, I'd rather know. That approach worked pretty well, actually. I think there was a point at which they asked to see the data I'd collected and we decided we weren't comfortable with that as a newsroom. In an ideal world, I think police press officers should be able to check this stuff themselves. And if they did want to refute it, they could say, you know, here's our own data. So the force undertook the same logging process that Sarah had done going through their own press releases and coding which were about black or white criminals. The findings turned out the same. In a way, I was impressed because it was a lot of work they'd done in a short amount of time because it took me absolutely ages. It felt good to see the same inconsistency. I genuinely don't think they knew it was there. And to see that they'd done their own analysis and seen that disproportionality just really kind of vindicated our story. We only got their response maybe, I think it was a day or two days before it published so to know then we were going out on like that solid foundation felt good and we felt pretty solid. The Met said its media department known as the Press Bureau keeps its processes and practice under constant review to ensure there is no opportunity for bias to impact on how we communicate with Londoners. But the spokesman said the force would now consider whether there is a need for further monitoring of our releases for ethnic disproportionality. Now Sarah had everything she needed to publish. A story that had been hanging over her for months was almost ready to go. She had everything straight, but still, she was nervous. I was just a bag of nerves. I think my worries were kind of twofold. I was worried that it was going to go out and somehow I and my editor, Ramsey, and the Met Police 
had all missed this glaring statistical problem in the article that someone was going to find and like expose us. I was so worried that that was going to happen. The experience as a whole taught, you know, to just kind of really back your article if you've researched it and you're confident in it. Because before this, I was very nervous, but also I was nervous that it was going to have no impact and no one was going to read it. And it was just all that work would be for nothing. You know, really all I wanted was for the Met to see it and react to it. She needn't have worried. When it went out and it got a really good reception, particularly on Twitter, and lots of people were sharing it and people who were saying, you know, we've worried about this or this is affirmed, something we've always suspected or we've long suspected. To see that was really gratifying. Sarah's work uncovered a shocking disparity in the information put out by the country's largest police force. Information which directly influences public opinion on criminal activity. But behind it was another worrying concept. The fact that reporters, especially those on local papers, don't have a close eye on the justice system anymore. And as such, the public does not get a full and honest view of what is happening. Years ago, there would have been court reporters in every local court, covering cases big and small. Readers of local papers would have gotten a real sense of what was happening in the justice system. Not that long ago, you'd have court reporters that were in court every single day. They knew the staff, they knew how the courts were, they knew what cases to look for. You'd have dedicated crime reporters, which is really kind of a vanishing profession now within journalism. And they'd have great relationships with police officers, with senior people in the police force who they could talk to and trust. And now a lot of those very senior roles have either kind of died out or they've been cut as newsrooms have been cut. You know, I'm only 25 now, so I was a young journalist working in newsrooms. You're kind of expected to be able to pick up quite quickly. And beyond that, the story got Sarah thinking about how journalists work with press officers these days. Media teams often now take the role of gatekeeper, batting away journalists' requests. Journalists see them as people to get around, only to be engaged with at the last possible moment. The relationship is one full of suspicion and antagonism. I think it goes beyond the press releases. There's got to be a better way of journalists and press offices interacting. 15 years ago, you could call up a press office and you could get a meeting with an officer working on a case and you could talk through a case or you could get an update that way. And there was that kind of close links between them and in a way there really isn't now I mean maybe some newsrooms have that links the ones I've worked in haven't for journalists I would say really think about your output as a whole and to think what narrative could this article push it's a careful balance because you don't want to not write a press release up because you're worried about sensitivity around it because a lot of these press releases it's important they go out also I think particularly as young journalists it's kind of baked into training in a way if it comes from an official source it's okay I think you've really got to question that and question what biases do they have and what biases could you be putting out into your audience you just got to think about the narrative you're building as a whole rather than if it's just one press release that you haven't spoken to a press office about and you don't know that much about and you're just putting out to fill a 5pm time slot on your website. It's just about asking questions and building those closer links with press offices because I don't always think it's seen now as a cooperative relationship. I think it can be quite hostile sometimes 
And if we're going to trust this information and ultimately report on crime more accurately and build up a better picture of what's happening in our own areas, then those links really have to be stronger. Thanks to Sarah Turnage for talking us through that. She now works for Full Fact. That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. Please do review, subscribe, pass a word to your friends. This episode was edited by Alice Milliken. Our theme music is by Dice Muse. This episode was made with the support of Studio To Be. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.